young America, we need to talk. You may think this is uncool. You may even think it is bogus. But I want to tell you about something that has everyone buzzing. Something that concerns mature boys and girls just like you. Something called grassroots. This is Aaron Ashley Simon. This is Brandon Kilbeachall. And welcome to another episode of Grassroots Podcast. Today we have a special guest. Special, special, New special. Def Jam signee. <laughs> all the way from Texas. Yeah, yeah. Bobby Sessions. Thank y'all for having me. Appreciate Yo, he even it. got the cool, like, intro. Yeah, yeah. I don't even, I can't <laughs> see it. Like, Damn, man. Must be nice, man. <laughs> so how uh, you doing? I'm doing excellent. How are y'all? Good, 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 man. Pretty good. Thank you for coming on the platform. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, let's get right into it, Bobby. Okay. Um, who are you? <laughs> I'm Bobby Session, legend from Dallas, Texas. Okay. I'm an artist that makes raw and uncut, un- unapologetically black art, and I'm a new signee of Def Jam Records. Fire, fire. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, upon us doing our due diligence and checking you out, um, wait, pause. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I did uh, find a number of records that I was really, really impressed by, Thank and that you. was the first thing I got before, you know, getting, you know, actual documentation on you. I was like, oh, wow, like, he's speaking about things that matter, yeah. where most people don't. Why, why go that route versus, you know, the normal, conventional uh, microwave music? Um, because I want to make sure that I'm talking about things that are bigger than myself. I don't want uh, my career to come to an end, and then we look back and say that all of my content was just me rapping about how good of a rapper that I am, and also um, my cousin got killed by law enforcement, so I feel like I have a responsibility to shed light on these issues that people continue to sweep under the rug. Oh, wow, so that, that hit ho- hits home for you holistically. Very then. deeply, yeah. Man. When, yeah. when did that happen? Uh, summer of 2012. Yeah, sorry to hear that. That's, uh, that's crazy. So, how was that process? I know you dedicated the song "Like Me" to him. Yeah. Um, how was that process for you? Because it, it was emotional. I'm sure you were filled with anger. But sure. how were you able to like to concentrate and 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 put all those emotions toward like a direct verse and lyrics that it makes like it's concise and has context and everything like that? Um, I have to prioritize my lifelong mission over my personal discomfort. Like, you know, it's a very, it's a, you have to go into a very dark space to create the music and for it to connect with people and resonate. Um, It puts you in a very dark space, but um, the pain that I feel while creating is a very temporary one. And if I can help enlighten millions of people around the world, then I think that's a small price to pay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, for for you, like most artists, this this is like therapeutic for you to be able to kind of vent and also, in the same token, kind of bestow wisdom on people that may not have, you know, known about any of these issues that happen, which is kind of hard to, you know, not notice these days. But, I mean, at least you have a mission, which is is pretty dope. Absolutely. And and making a commitment to be raw with the message because we've become very... um, 
desensitized. Like mm-hmm. you can be make the example um, earlier in the day. Like you can see y'all oh, somebody got shot on Twitter, and you're like, oh, that's fucked up. Like, what's Cardi B doing? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you just yeah. move on from it so fast. Like this is something. This is real. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing. And like I said, it's, it's a small price to pay, and and it needs to be done. And instead of me complaining about the lack of other artists doing it, I took it upon myself to make sure that I'm doing my part. Now, you originally um, grew up in a low to lower income area, and then you moved to the suburbs, and I'm sure that whole experience, and of course, we're getting hit by New York gentrification. That's all happening. Um, How have those kind of two experiences created like a duality when it came to your music? Like, what did you take from growing up in that lower income area and then you're growing up in the suburb areas and adding into your songs. Uh, that's a great question. Um, so up until 18, I spent 12 years in that um, uh, area called Pleasant Grove in southeast Dallas, and then six years in the suburb. Both are their own bubbles. You know, when mm-hmm. I was in Pleasant Grove, that was an all-black neighborhood, and that was all that I knew. So when you go from there to an all-white neighborhood in the suburbs, it's traumatic because everybody has a different culture. Like, so the things that you fear are completely different. When mm-hmm. I used to walk down the street in the suburbs, I would be way more terrified than when I was in the black neighborhood. That's crazy. Like, I used to have a fear. I watched, like, the movie uh, Mississippi Burning, like, right before I moved. So when uh, (laughs) we got to a new neighborhood, I was walking down the street, and there was these two cars driving down the street, and one of the, both driven by um, white drivers, one of them waved at us, and the next car flicked off me and my family, like, in the neighborhood. That's crazy. (laughs) It's like this thing, and I used to always have this fear that, like, if... Um, if something happened to me and everybody told, like, no crime, like, it would be no justice. It was like this thing. So, yeah, it was a uh, traumatic at first, but ultimately, if I would have never moved to the suburbs, I would have never went to UNT, University of North Texas, and ultimately, I would have never became a rapper, so I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now even when I think about just you musically, um, when did you first kind of feel like, all right, this, this was for me? Um, freshman year of college, um, November 16th, 2010. Oh, damn, he got uh, the yeah, date. <laughs> you got yeah. the time and everything. Yeah, <laughs> man. Uh, I was doing um, poetry a lot, and I played sports like my whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, I had, they had this event in UAT called Poetic Justice. It would be like poets, rappers, singers, mm-hmm. and they would be in this um, gazebo right in front of the student union, and they would you know, display their talent or whatever. And I did some poetry, got some good reaction, and they had a cipher at the end of it. And I saw the reaction that the people was getting in the cipher, and I felt like I was better than those guys. So I went home and wrote a rap, and I came back and recited it. And the rap was fairly trash, but <laughs> um, the reaction I got from it, uh, it was like a thing in my spirit, and I knew I was, um, I knew that that was gonna be my, it was the move, my for you. thing, yeah, yeah. Now, um, just kind of going back to your friend uh, being murdered. like Cousin. Oh, cousin, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, before that happened, do you think that your music would have had as much substance as it does now, considering that that pretty much altered your way of thinking and everything? Um, good question. Probably not, yeah. if I'm being honest. It just it hits way closer to home when it's your family. Like, I found out on Twitter. That my cousin that was like on really Twitter. yeah it's like it was a combination between Twitter and my mom so I was um, working at Walmart at the time okay mm-hmm. and um, I saw that there was a riot in South Dallas and it was like somebody had got shot 
And I, um, the, but the name wasn't popping up. And I was just like, who is that? And then a couple hours later, I got a call uh, saying that my cousin got killed. And I was like, in South Dallas? And I was like, yeah. It was like, was there a riot? She was like, yeah. And I was like, what? Like, oh, it was like this oh, wild man. thing. So when, when it happens, and the last time I saw him was Christmas 2011. So it was like I remember growing up with this guy. So when it happens to somebody you know, just your whole perspective is different. And, and I'm sure that contributed to my passion and level of serious, like my seriousness when it comes to making music about these issues. Yeah. yeah. So how did um, This Is America resonate with you? Um, one of the things that about like with that music video is that a lot of times when it, all the chaos was in the back, it, it's like the focus was all on the dancing and just like very yeah. social media based content. So like for you, with your experience with your cousin, like how did that music video resonate with you? I thought um, it's one of the greatest music videos of the past 10 years. Um, and it was a trip to watch and it's almost like if you watch it just looking at Childish Gambino, mm -hmm. it's a completely separate video from watching it, not looking at him at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think he did a great job in showing at how desensitized we are. Like somebody can get shot right here, but I'm doing the shoot dance right now and mm -hmm. so it's all good. Um, I thought it was a brilliant piece of art and I hope to see more content in the future from him that uh, is touching on similar issues. Do you ever fear that, you know, we're having some artists alongside with you who are doing the unapologetically, unapolog sorry, unapologetically black music? Um, is there like this, this fear or this sense of concern about that kind of music becoming a trend in a sense? Um, that's a great question. Um, I feel in a way it, it already has become a trend. It's become like the cool thing to do now because more people are standing up. And you can see this pretty much with anything uh, socially. When, when one person comes out and do it, that person will get vilified. But if everybody's doing it now, it's the cool thing to do. Um, but I think if it's ultimately helping people get be more aware and do more research on their history, then I think directly and indirectly it's still a good thing. Now, even when you start to create records, to kind of piggyback off what Aaron said, I, I like the word fear. Like now, process-wise, do you fear that because your music is so influential and, and has a real meaning to it that it may not reach as many people as it should, or maybe people you you could even possibly be uh, blackballed because you're bringing real-life issues to the forefront? Um, I think if I, I have some great questions. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> Um, I think if I was um, in a, a label that wasn't Def Jam, I could see that potentially being a fear, but I'm in a place that put out public enemy. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So um, Paul, the CEO, has, has encouraged me to speak my truth and to um, make music as raw as possible and, and to speak my mind and to be open and not to hold back any punches. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I'm in an environment that um, is allowing me to be myself and do my thing. So I, it's really not too much of a concern for me. Yo, man, people at Def Jam are great. They all give the best answers, man. Between JD, you, you guys are amazing, I, I must say. Shout out to JD. <laughs> man right there. Yeah, shout out to JD. Um, so let's get a little bit into your recording process. I'm, I'm always fascinated with it, me coming from a musical background and being yeah. a fan of it. What are some of your little... Uh, I guess quirks that you kind of need to be creative. Like I know people like uh, like we, we talked about Royce early on. He needs a, a, a candle to pop. 
Okay. Not just a candle, a yeah, crackling a, a, a candle. A crackling candle to pop <laughs> in order for him to kind of get in his mode. What are, what are some of the things you need in order to get into your, your groove? Um, I don't like a lot of light in the room. Okay. Um, I never record standing up ever. Like ever, like I won't, I ref, I'll refuse to record standing up. Wait, so you like get it, bring a chair into the booth and you sit every time. And if I'm not this much of a diva about that, I guess, but um, I I do not like recording in booths. That's huh. becoming more and more common. Yeah, like I record sitting down. I typically have my shoes off, like in an open space. Oh, so you just like to be on some zen shit and just chill. Yeah, so like. instead of, like, normally you have the booth and it has all the foam to yeah. uh, mm-hmm. trap in the sound, we use one of them uh, chaotic eye- eyeballs. I guess this is a plug for y'all right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we use that on the mic, and I typically record with the producer or the engineer right there. Shoes off. Is this, like, a superstition, like a luck thing, a good luck thing? I or? think it's a habit that's turned into a religion at this point. Shit. Hmm. I wonder what happens when you're standing up recording. Uh, we will never know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all right. So moving forward from there, um, I, I do want to get into your album. But before that, who are some of your musical inspirations? Because you uh, just listening to your music, I, I hear a lot of people. I got the Childish Gambino uh, and, and from the creative side, lyrically. And then I hear that you're super, super lyrical when listening to your music. So who, who do you listen to? Um... My biggest musical influence is Jay-Z, Eminem, Tupac, Pharrell, Kanye West, top five. Okay. As far as musical influence. Musical influence. Yeah. Okay. Well, on top of that, it's also Black Music History Month. So what song from a black artist do you think resonates the most with not only you, but potentially people around your age the most? And why? People around my age? Yes. Probably... All Right by Kendrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good record. Yeah, That's probably definitely. for my generation, yeah. Why do you say so? Um, it was the song that's forever synonymous with the Black Lives Matter movement. No. Do, you, do you feel like that, that song and just that project in general um, made more millennials and younger people start to pay attention to some of these problems Abs- that are happening? Absolutely. One, I think it's one of the greatest albums made by any artist of any genre ever. Um, and I feel like it was it was so unapologetically black that it forces you as the listener to pick a side on your other side of freedom or are you on the side of oppression. And um, I've seen a ripple effect after that body of work has been released. Mm-hmm. Now, when you start to create, um, just I guess from your core, because you know how like every every artist has their uh, ascending moment where you know you you go from underground to kind of popping and bubbling, and now you on. Yeah. The type of music that you make, has that ever made any of your, I guess, core friends or even just people in close proximity to you uncomfortable to where they're like, uh, I don't know if I want to associate myself with you, even though this is how you feel. These, these are your truths. Um, not, it, it, it's made people close to me uncomfortable, not, not uncomfortable where they don't want to associate with me, but uncomfortable like they fear for me just in general. Mm-hmm. Like I know with my music... I have to anticipate getting death threats at some point mm-hmm. or um, or even anticipate black people getting so hyped that they go, like, slap their supervisor. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, after be anticipating uh, all of these things. I think they fear for, for stuff like that, not associating with me because whether they express it or not, a lot of them privately share the same 
opinion. Yeah, well, the reason I say associate because we we talk a lot about beef on the podcast and just obviously with Pusher and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, you you know, everyone is a target. You know what I mean? So I often wonder, being a part of the entourage or, or friends, like, do they ever worry? Like, uh, maybe this is getting too deep for me. Maybe I don't. I need to take a step back. Uh, I'll say if they have, they haven't openly expressed it. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Did you have any conversations with any white friends that might might have listened to your songs recently and just kind of like really breaking down like this is what it's about, this is what's going on now, and this is my truth, and just so it's like not an uncomfortable situation, obviously. Um, the the white people in my circle, they all love the music because they know that it's not about them. It's about white supremacists. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I think every powerful black movement has always had white people involved in it. Like, so it's really not even black against white more than it is f free, free, freedom and oppression. Like, mm -hmm. you have us and then you have the enemy. Um, white people that, um, white people that are not racist are not offended by my music. They're uncomfortable, but black people are uncomfortable when they listen to it too. I was uncomfortable making the music. It's mm -hmm. all uncomfortable because it's, it's, um, because it's true. Yeah. That's what makes it uncomfortable because you know it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think if you're on the side of freedom, uh, it's really, you're not going to have no issue with it. You know, I'm talking about white supremacists, not white people. Yeah. There has to be some some feeling of, of pressure that comes with it, because especially if you're talking about things that are serious, like, um, you know, white supremacy, the things that happen with police brutality, it's like you want to make sure that the lyrics are right, yeah. that they're appropriate, and that it, it, it everything is cohesive. So, yeah. like, do you feel any sense of pressure, or is it something that just, it just naturally happens once you're sitting down your chair and... You know, recording. Yeah. Um, so I do a great deal of research before I say anything, just to make sure I can avoid um, issues later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm also I don't have a fear of being wrong. Like I'm gonna say things now that I'll regret saying 20 years from now. I'm gonna say things. I'm gonna not say things now that I wish I would have said 20 years later. And, and I'm not fearful of making a mistake. And I know with this kind of music, if I do have any holes in my message, it's so out there that the public will correct me. Like, oh, you got this right, but you missed this, or you mm -hmm. this fact is incorrect. And I think um, that's good. Was there a specific moment that you looked up that? really um, resonated and, and really was like the foundation for your songs or even your project? Um, not the, nothing I looked up that was the foundation in particular, but that was something that I, I looked up um, that really struck a nerve. Um, I mentioned it on the title track of the project Revolution, where I say uh, the first cops were the slave catchers. And like I really du dug into that. And it's like the first police officers in the South, that literally was their job. Yeah. It's not something that became their job. Their first job was to catch slaves, stop slave re revolts, and protect the property of the rich. They wore the same star badge. It just said, like, slave catcher on it. And then they replaced it with police and added another star. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. and that, that really sh struck a nerve. Like, you really, like, what are you policing exactly? Mm. Like and and when I when I read that it it makes when you go on Fox and you, or news or something like that and they say, well don't police brutality isn't a real thing this is an isolated incident that 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 argument is obsolete like these are not isolated incidents this is a long 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 history yeah. and even it's like oh they're good cops like yeah they're good cops but it doesn't change the fact that it's a bad system and it has a bad origin.
I can definitely see you doing more, like, on a larger scale. And not to say you're not doing it on a large scale now, but I mean, like, I could see you, like, leading something very powerful just based off of that one bar from that. Like, that was really powerful, you know I what I'm saying? I, I really appreciate that. Tapping into such dark music at times, how do you decompress from it? Because I know you have to probably go into all different types of emotions and you have to have these conversations with yourself. How yeah. do you then kind of escape that to go back into a, a normal reality? To Honestly, kind of be you? I, I watch Family Feud. <laughs> That's my show. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I watch that every single night. <laughs> family Feud is my shit. Oh, see. So I, do. I watch Family Feud. That's how I decompress. Cause it's like, and I didn't know why, but I realized it's so, it's so dumb <laughs> that it just, I don't know. It, it just gets my mind away from me. I watch Family Feud. I smoke a blunt and watch Family Feud. That's my shit. I can't lie. I agree with him. There's sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm sitting there and it's like the easiest question. It's like, name a fruit that's red. And then they go and say, uh, cucumber. And I'm yeah. like, really? Orange, Steve. Like that's, <laughs> like, that's what I do. That's how I do. I'm, I'm a Jeopardy guy. That's why I'm laughing. I, I, I watch Jeopardy. Like, I'm you the got guy, to. Like, but I play along. Like, I'm like, uh, I'll take that for 10, Alex. Like, I really yeah. get into that shit. So that's pretty funny. I yeah, that, that. yeah, that. And I watch uh, um, hours and hours of stand-up comedy. Ooh, who's your, fav- okay. who's your favorite stand-up comic? Uh, oh. give, me, give me your top three stand-up. Uh, Actively of all time. Mm. Oh, that's it matters. matters. It matters. Um, all right, I'll do. Let's let's do a little bit. Let's let's do four. So give me two, unactive and two active. All right, all time, Chris Rock, George Carlin, actively, Dave Chappelle, and um, Eddie Griffin. Mm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought you would have thrown, thrown uh, Eddie Griffin in. I thought I was going to say Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I rock with Eddie Murphy too. Eddie Murphy, delirious, classic, yeah. classic, shit. classic yeah. shit. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your upbringing, your family. Um, what was that like growing up for you? You know, I know you mentioned a lot about you know growing up in a in a black community and growing up. How how are, how are your parents? Do you have a good relationship with them? And you know, do they support you? I know that may sound like a dumb question, but I know a lot of people that really don't get support or come from broken homes. So. Um, I had both of my parents. Um, education was very important in my household. Um, they had very high standards for me. And, um, you know, they wanted me, like, you know, normal parents, they wanted me to go to school, get good grades, go to college, get a degree, and hopefully mm-hmm. get a good job. And um, I, I took a left turn, <laughs> deciding <laughs> to drop out of college to be a rapper. It was like a shock for my whole family. Like, you're not a rapper. <laughs> you know, but... Um, you know, after I, I did it for a few years, they, they came out to a show, and when they saw me perform live, they believed in it completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I wouldn't be here today if they wasn't supporting me and being very um, uh, as encouraging as they've been mm-hmm. to me. Now, when you, uh, what was that feeling like? When you, you know, obviously you, you, everyone wants acceptance from their parents. You want to make your parents proud. To hear them say, oh, no, you're not a rapper. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Did that, that obviously drove you a little bit more to kind of prove them wrong or just to show them, like, hey, I, hey, your, your son's talented. I'm, I'm kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, like, when it, when it first, when it happened uh, in the beginning, I, I was upset. But as I've gotten older, I get it. It's just like. I don't have children, but if I had uh, a child and they went to college and then they dropped out on my money mm-hmm. <laughs> and said that 
yeah, I'm going to be a rapper. And you've never seen or heard me express that as an aspiration before. I think I would have some a lot of questions, <laughs> you know, and it's like they didn't listen to rap like that. So I get it completely. But with the support that they've given me since 2015, like uh, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Yeah. So the city itself, Dallas, um, I read that you thought it was important to establish yourself in Dallas, even though typically most people would tell anyone who was an aspiring rapper artist to move to New York, move to L.A. Right. Why was it important for you to stay local and to build within Dallas and not expand yet into these big markets? Um, one, Dallas doesn't have a history of artists coming up within the scene and then signing with a major label or having any kind of global, national, or even regional success. So I saw it as an opportunity. S studying the history, I saw it as an opportunity to create the history. I wanted to make sure that us in high standards, uh, the label, Dallas-based label that we have in Dallas, founded by J. Jones and Vince Chopper, we wanted to establish a blueprint that other artists in the city could follow suit. Mm -hmm. So legacy is, is more important to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, creating history and not letting artists come up with this, like, hopelessness that they have to move somewhere in order to get on. Dallas is a big city. It's one of the largest markets in the world. Um, and we have all the resources necessary to be a successful market, hip-hop market in particular. We just have to, to do the work and not have a, uh, not be entitled. So why do, you, why do you think that artists, especially who are coming up, feel that hopelessness? I mean, we've seen artists come out of Florida. We've seen artists come out of the Midwest. We've seen some artists come out of the South. Now we've seen some come out of Philly. Like, why, why is there still that sense of hopelessness and, and like, oh, I have to go to New York or L.A.? Because New York, it's drilled into your head that if you go to New York or L.A., that you're going to be successful, have a real shot in my dreams manifesting. Um, and when you don't see a lot of examples of success it's easier to believe doubt it's easier to let your doubt um take control of your life and i think that was the case in dallas we didn't have a, all these wins like for example doc is from dallas he's from west dallas mm -hmm. but he didn't like come up in the dallas music scene and popped off, popped off or nothing like that so since there was no examples of it it's easy for people to just write it off and say, oh, well, it's impossible. You know, mm -hmm. But everything is impossible until somebody does it. Yeah. Speaking of self-doubt, um, like any up-and-coming artist struggling, especially being, you know, unsigned, what were, I want two defining moments. First moment is when did you first really think about giving up on rap? And then what was that moment that then followed it that made you say, no, this is for me? Um, defining moment. Um... My defining moment was when I put in my two weeks notice at my warehouse job. Mm -hmm. That was my defining moment. Because at that moment, I felt like I made it. When did I think about giving up? Um, every day. Yeah. <laughs> Just thinking about it every day because you're starving. Mm -hmm. It's like, ah, oh, well, maybe this isn't for me. But I researched pretty much every 
billionaire story, every millionaire story, every successful entertainer's story that I could find. And once I saw that, they all went through that. They always said, man, I thought about quitting. And I was like, well, you? I never would have thought that you thought about quitting. Like, yeah. And um, when they would tell their stories, they was expressing the same emotions that I was feeling every day. And I realized like the only difference between the people that made it and the people that didn't, both of them thought about quitting. One of them just kept going. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that I kept going. Yeah. And that was it. All right. That was really dope. I want to talk now about album. Okay. Favorite records, um, any features, and what do you want people to kind of take away from this outside of what we already know? You know, you obviously speak with a purpose and have a purpose, but I want to dig a little bit deeper than that. So let's get into that. What, what are some of your favorite records and why on this album? Okay, so the project is called Revolution, The Divided States of America. Um, That's hard, too. Thank you. That's hard. <laughs> thank you. Um, and then uh, chapter one. So Revolution is a series, and Divided States of America is chapter one in mm. this series. Um, it's uh, my favorite record. Ch- changes depending on the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, it's Revolution. The title track uh, is my favorite record off of it. Um, I want people to... Uh, What's the best way to put it? With chapter one, the goal and the mission is to identify what the problem is. So you're going to hear a lot of um, anger and rage like you've heard on Like Me Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of suppressed rage because in society, black people are uncomfortable openly talking about their oppression, openly talking about their trauma. Um... And um, it's basically taking all those conversations that happen in the barbershop and putting them on record. You know, the barbershop is the place where you can be open, you can Mm -hmm. be honest. It's uh, encouraged for you to be politically incorrect and just to speak the truth, right, wrong, or indifferent. And um, we just took all those conversations from the barbershops and and put them on record. Nice. Is there, like, a specific, um, you know, obviously you have, like, the chapters, but do you have any... um, other specific flow that it comes to it like if you listen it from like the end and go to the beginning it has a different um meaning versus or if you or if you listen to certain tracks back to back it has another different meaning like is there any like variation of that um have to listen and see <laughs> mm. listen and see I can already see the album's gonna be mad deep and I'm gonna be in my feelings. <laughs> like, yeah. I can already see it. Which, yeah. is, which is not a bad like thing. Like it has something, but I, I don't wanna say it. I, I wanna say it. Yeah, save it. Now, yeah. now I wanna know. That yeah. you, this, is, this is your marketing ploy to try to get no, me to buy no your album. That's what this is. I'm falling for it, just so we're clear. I'm falling for it. But it's, it's really good, and you know, it's, it's um, just um, chapter one. So you're, you're, you're moving in phases then. You have a whole role. Just listening to you probably have a whole four albums in your head considering you're titling this chapter one like i know the name of the last album i'm gonna put out in my career already that's fire even though times change Mm -hmm. the world could magically open up and and buy into the revolution yeah now with that being said i'm not going to fight some undeniable idea if it comes my way and make Mm -hmm. adjustments to the plan but as of right now, I have my last album already planned out. And Revolution, this is an EP, this chapter one. So mm-hmm. I'll have music that come out that's separate from the Revolution series. Okay. Um, so 
for example, the two projects I put out before the Def Jam deal, uh, LOA, which is acronym for mm -hmm. Law of Attraction, and Grateful, those, those are part of my manifest series. Mm -hmm. So I'll have more catalog to add under that tree or umbrella, and then I'll have albums that I'll put out as well. Collaboration-wise, who do you have on there? Just give me one. I don't want to spoil it, I guess. Uh, it's only two on the whole project. So we have Zaya, my label made at High Standards. Okay. Um, she's on two records, and uh, she also did some production as well, and uh, Killer Mike. Ooh. That's such a great mashup. And it's one of the best Killer Mike verses you will ever hear. All right, hold on, project. hold on. Don't start talking that shit. Now. Nah, I got to, man. <laughs> Don't start you. talking that now. I'm telling you, it's a f very I'm gonna DM memorable you. Killer Mike verse. Yeah, I may have to DM you like, yo, this shit was Shout trash. out to Killer Mike. And, and it was one of the most, a uh, quick story, uh, amazing thing to witness him recording the verse. So we had came back from South by Southwest. He, um, the dates had lined up where he was on tour. Uh, Run the Jewels was on tour with uh, Lord. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whatever. So we were uh, <laughs> downstairs in the studio. He went upstairs to do an interview, got done with the interview, wrote the verse in his head on the spot. We have it on camera. Like he wrote the verse in his head. And then as soon as he got done, he went and performed at American Airlines Center at an arena. That's crazy. I was just like, like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, it was, it was an amazing thing. So shout out to Killer Mike. He has a great guest feature on the project. How does how does that work though? And by work, I mean like um, I guess kind of collaborating with somebody like that. Like you guys clearly are, are in unison and in sync with the way you think. What, what jewels did you pick up from him outside of knowing that he's a Martian? Because I didn't know that he was a Martian like that. Oh, that was good, and that was good too. What jewels did you pick up? Um, he, um, it was an honor. Yeah, I mean it's Killer Mike. Mm -hmm. Like it's like the OG of OGs. So um, when he was in the studio. Uh, after he cut his verse, he was talking, and I, I just um, shut the fuck up and was listening to everything that he had to say. Yeah. Um, he was giving me um, different people that he wanted me to research, um, like James Baldwin, mm. um, and, and um, was really just giving me some insight. We had showed him the Like Me video before it came out and, and got his opinions on that, and um, I am honored to have been in the same room with him. That's pretty dope. Wait, so why? What? What did he specific? Uh, what did he specifically say about the reason for reading James Baldwin? Um, he felt like um, the my message was so blunt. He felt like it would be good for me to research that just to get a more educated um, reference for myself. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go. And I'm glad I did. I, I really like what. I came across with, with James. Yeah, now I'm going to go look up James Baldwin. I feel like I'm missing something. Yeah. What? Because, oh, yeah. like, I heard the name before, but I never, like, really um, dived in like that. And when Killer Mike gives you a recommendation, yeah. you just do it. Yeah, yeah James Baldwin was, um, you know, back then he was one of the, the black um, writers who really was outspoken when it came to the uh, systematic oppression and things that were going on in the U.S. And he spoke heavily about it and openly about it, even overseas and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, his courage was. It was. It was. It was big. Like for what he was doing, we would think that it's like just you know usual thing now. But think about like what some of the black athletes and, and black artists are saying now and back in like the 60s and even earlier. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. All right, I gotta go do some research. I feel like I'm, I'm ignorant to this right now. Oh, That's man. horrible. 
No, not at all. I mean, I found out in March. <laughs> so, <laughs> all good. Um, I guess the other, other question I did have, um, future-wise, who would, who would you like to collaborate with outside of Killer Mike that, you know, you really feel you would have a good vibe and connection with that share the same, like, mind that you have? Um, Joey Badass, um, Kendrick, Cole. I could definitely see that. Um, Jay. Mm-hmm. Pharrell. I always wanted to collaborate with Pharrell. Um, I mean, this I could do this really all day. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna just stop there. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll cut it there. I'll be the whole episode. Of people <laughs> I want to collaborate with. Yeah. Um, I guess so. I guess in closing, um, outside of just holistically what you're looking to do long term, what are your goals? Like as far as surpassing music, because I, I get like a very artsy, more philosophical yeah, kind of vibe. Yeah, like I guess Appreciate that's that. that's the vibe yeah. I'm getting from you. What what else do you want to do? Um, I want to um, just want to bring positive change to the world. I feel like activism will be something I continue to do. I'm doing. I've been doing it now for some years now, but I'll do it past music. I'm sure. Um, and just seeing more of the world and, um, I don't know. No, no. We'll see. Yeah. I still like that answer. I'm not mad at that. (laughs) Um, I mean, this has been great. I know you, you guys have something to do. Um, we want to thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. a very enlightening conversation, I will say. I really like this conversation. Likewise, I appreciate you um, having me. For real. We definitely wish you the best. Uh, you're now part of the rooted community. We call it, you've been rooted, so we're gonna stalk you. Um, <laughs> pretty much keep up with you, which is a good thing. Yeah. And um, just keep going. Keep going. Thank I, you. I, I, you definitely have a, a bright future. I and that's not that, me just saying that just because you're here. I, I do like your music, so I think it's dope. Um, also, check us out, ladies and gentlemen, on uh, Grassroots Pod, and that's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Um, also in the, uh, video link for this, you will see, uh, the group me chat in the description. We'll be discussing this episode and getting your thoughts. Let us know what you think. Uh, what do you think about the music? What do you think about, uh, just the views and, and fighting a lot of the struggles that we go through every day? Um, and then also, uh, what's your, what's your handle? Let's let people know where we can find you. Uh, on, uh, Twitter at Bobby Sessions on Instagram at Bobby Sessions TX. Fire. All right. With that said, um, I'm Brandon Killer BHL. I'm Aaron Ashley Simon. Bobby Sessions, and we out. Hey.